This week on Geek Explained, with the release of The Last of Us Part 2 coming this week, we're taking a look at five games to play if you're a fan of one of the most anticipated games of all time. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode dives back into the world of video games. We haven't done a video game episode in a little while, and I wanted to talk about video games because I don't know if you heard, but there's a little, little known game coming out this week called The Last of Us Part Two. One of the most highly anticipated games of all time is dropping this Friday as of this recording. And so I wanted to talk about video games. I wanted to talk about video games that I love and video games that I think you should check out, especially if you are a fan of The Last of Us. Uh, Also, we have this week's weekly review on the newest episode of Harley Quinn, as well as a very special edition of this week's comics callback. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. All right, guys and dolls, so we got actually a lot of news to talk about this week. Um, Lots of really great stuff, Uh, one less great thing, but all of it absolutely worth talking about. So we have our four categories, of course, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous, Uh, and we're going to go right down the line. So starting off with film news, uh, we got the official confirmation that unfortunately Wonder Woman 1984 will not be a birthday present for me as it has been moved back from its August 2020 date to October 2nd, still 2020. So that's both good and bad. I was hoping to get it a little sooner, but I'm really excited about the uh, prospect of finally getting this movie. We've been waiting for it for so long, and um, at this point, I'm just excited for us to be able to feast our eyes on a film that has been in the the works for a while, I would say. Um, Pretty excited about it. Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot are very excited to finally show the movie to everybody, and I can't wait to watch it. Jumping over to TV news, some more DC news. There's a lot of DC news, Um, but... We got our first big trailer for season two of Doom Patrol, which does drop in less than a month. I'm so freaking excited. Um, I'm really, really looking forward to this. Uh, Doom Patrol season two is dropping on both the DC Universe app as well as HBO Max. And this trailer appropriately looks bonkers. It's just everything that I expected from the promise of a season two and more you know it looks like there's going to be a big focus on dorothy which i'm really excited about uh she's a great character from the doom patrol comics if you haven't listened to our episode chronicling the history of the doom patrol go back into the archives check that out it is there um but i i was so 
completely blown away by season one of Doom Patrol. I love it so much. I was worried watching this because it looked like it was focusing on Dorothy a little too much and that it looks like that that's going to be the entire season. I was worried about certain characters not coming back. Like we didn't see anything, anything from Flex Mentello until like the very end. And I was so excited to see him as well as Danny the Street, who looks like Danny might be something else now, but Either way, really, really excited, and I can't wait to watch this new season. Uh, jumping over to comics news, uh, a little bit of controversy starting this off, because Marvel has dropped, or at least solicited, a bunch of variant covers that, I guess, throw shade at DC. Uh, pretty much all of these variant covers are just blank covers with the words, um, on sale Wednesday, or it's like Marvel Comics on sale Wednesday, and it feels petty, like really like childish for them to do that. Um, I know there's you know a big ruckus with DC leaving Diamond, Marvel staying loyal to Diamond, uh, now that DC is shipping on Tuesdays, but I don't know. I just it feels kind of juvenile. Um, th- this has appropriately gotten a lot of backlash on Twitter and other social media. So um, I don't think that this is going to be a long-term uh, change for Marvel or a long-term addition to their variant covers each week. Uh, DC kind of struck back at that with this huge announcement of a live virtual event called DC Fandome. Um, I'm just going to move right on past the fact that that is a dumb name. It's so bad, but I am actually really interested in what this is going to be. So basically they are, uh, putting on this event for 24 hours. It's going to be, I believe at dcfandom.com where it is going to be basically like their own, like virtual comic con. They have different, um, content that's going to be showcased across all of DC media. Uh, We're talking movies, we're talking TV shows, we're talking comics, we're talking video games. Um, And I've got the breakdown for it right here. Uh, So I'm just going to go ahead and read off the um, announcements just to make sure I cover all my bases here. So I'm reading this announcement from Business Wire. I know it's weird. I feel like my nerd culture and adulting Uh, priorities are crossing it's odd but um so it says the epicenter of the dc fandom is the hall of heroes where you can experience special programming panels and content reveals from a wide variety of films tv series and games available in several languages a list of languages Uh, from there navigate deeper into the dc multiverse exploring five additional satellite worlds each with its own localized content and unique activities in one world fully devoted to to our younger fans so basically this hall of heroes is going to be where all these panels and announcements are at that's where you're going to be spending the majority of the time that's where i'm going to be spending the majority of the time but it does have five different other i'll call them halls where uh each one is kind of catered to a specific um specific branch of dc so we have the dc watch verse uh which says here's where you grab a seat sit back and enjoy and join our virtual audience and become completely engrossed in hours of must-see content from around the world. Everything from panels and exclusive screenings to never-before-seen footage featuring cast, creators, and behind-the-scenes crew from across DC films, TV, home entertainment, and games. So this is going to be where we're going to see, like, um, 
I'm guessing uh, some panels from like probably like the Snyder Cut people, um, the DCCW verse, all that stuff. There's the DCU verse, where venture into this world where the fans are the stars. To see the most amazing user-generated content, cosplay, and fan art from around the world, including perhaps your own. So this is going to be where um, people submit stuff. We've already seen that they're running a competition of some kind right now where you send in like cosplay or fan art um, to have it up there. Some of them, I think there's a competition where you actually get like cash prize, so that's pretty cool. The third hall is DC Kidsverse. Need a way to entertain your kids for hours on end? This is where you drop off your kids for this. Uh, <laughs> we've got you covered inside a special world, which can be act- accessed directly at dckidsfandom.com. This area features a broad range of family-friendly activations for our younger fans. So this is going to be, you know, where the daycare part of the DC fandom thing is. Next, we have DC Insiderverse. Funny. Um, this creative, this creativity based world contains our centerpiece video featuring legendary artist and DC CCO slash publisher, Jim Lee, president of DC based film production, Walter Hamada and creator of the DC TV Arrowverse executive producer, Greg Berlanti, welcoming fans with a one-on-one style introduction to the DC multiverse from there, go behind the scenes with the master artisans who bring DC to life in all its forms from comic books to games, TV, movies, theme parks, consumer products, and more. So this is going to be where you're checking out behind the scenes stuff. Um, I think it's pretty cool that we're actually going to get some FaceTime with Walter Hamada. He's been kind of this absentee landlord when it comes to um, DC and its production and stuff like that. So it'll be cool to kind of get his perspective on things. Um, it looks interesting. And hopefully this will be where Greg Berlanti shows off some HBO Green Lantern stuff. Uh, but we'll see. And then finally, the last one is DC Funverse. Take your DC fandom experience and gather cool shareables. Okay, this is the store. This is the merch store. Check out our comic book reader DIY cool Wonder Woman 84 golden armor and Batmobile kits, plus digital giveaways and a store filled with merchandise, including some limited edition exclusives. So this is where you're going to get your con exclusive stuff. Um, if you want to buy stuff, this is going to be where you want to go. They also announced a an event called the Blurred and Bougie House. Um, I guess this is the second annual Blurred and Bougie House. Uh, I guess the last one was last year at San Diego Comic-Con. And the press release for that reads, Where are my blurreds at? The second... <laughs> God... Uh, the second annual celebration of black nerd culture returns with the all-new Blurred and Bougie... Blurred and Bougie House at DC Fandom, bringing Blurreds, Latinx geeks, and all nerds party with a purpose vibes. As anyone lucky enough to get into the first ever Blurred and Bougie boat party at San Diego Comic-Con 2019 can attest, fans will not want to miss connections and conversations designed for the culture. So this is a great uh, place to kind of mix it up, engage with other fans, um, and all the name of uh, POC fandom. I think that's awesome. So, yeah, it looks interesting. Um, It's going to be on August 22nd, and it's going to run for 24 hours. I believe that's a Saturday? 
I want to say that's a Saturday. Um, I'm not going to look in the calendar. So if it's not Saturday, you can correct me. But um, it looks interesting. I am intrigued. This looks like this is going to be kind of their answer to San Diego Comic-Con not being around this year. Um, and also, also it might be, you know, their answer to D23, where a lot of Marvel stuff has kind of started to shift towards. It's going to be weird once we start to see that San Diego Comic-Con isn't the place to be anymore for releases of, like, movie info and stuff like that. But um, I think it's interesting. I can't, I can't get past the stupid name. But um, I'm sure that after they've shopped it around for a little bit, it'll change. And then finally, in comics news, uh, some sad news. This is the one piece of news that I was kind of um, I was sad about. Uh, a a comics legend has officially uh, passed on. Denny O'Neill, who is known as just this iconic comics creator pr- across both DC and Marvel, uh, passed away this past week. Uh, he was a legend, bar none. Uh, we talked about him last week in the uh, comics callback for his run on Green Arrow and Green Lantern, The Hard Traveling Heroes. Probably his most famous DC work, but it was not his only DC work and not his only comic work that ended up being iconic. So um, I guess this is a spoiler, but uh, later on in the podcast, the entire segment of comics callback is going to be dedicated to Denny O'Neill. I'm really excited to talk about some of the comics that he uh, had a hand in creating because this guy just is a legend and he had his hand in so many iconic comic moments and it's you know the, the world is just a bit dimmer without Denny O'Neill so moving on to our final section of news for this week the miscellaneous news this is going to be our most jam-packed this has the most news in it because this past week we had the PlayStation uh, State of Play event where PlayStation just went balls to the wall, showed off everything that it has. Um, I'm just going to talk about the stuff that I really am excited about. I might miss some stuff. If I have missed stuff that you are really interested in, feel free to let me know on Twitter, Instagram, at Pod through email to geeksplained at gmail.com. I would love to have that conversation with you and talk about some of the stuff that you're excited about. This is a video game episode, as it were, so... Let's just dive into it. Uh, PlayStation revealed officially the PlayStation 5. We've been waiting, and it looks interesting. Um, I don't think, as someone who owned the all-white Xbox 360, that white was the way to go with the color of the PlayStation 5. I hope that they have different colors so that those of us who don't want to... um, spend the time scrubbing our PlayStation 5 every uh, every other day we'll be able to enjoy it um, it looks interesting there's been a lot of jokes some people have like basically taken the PS2 and like put I saw one where it was like the PS2 and they put a white bind around it and they're like got my PS5 but it looks interesting it's huge it's huge and they have two editions they have the standard edition and the I believe I don't know if it's actually called the digital deluxe edition but that's what I keep seeing um, so basically there's an addition for those of you who want to get hard copies of discs and then they're also offering a version of the PlayStation 5 that is utilizing just the digital library which I think is cool it gives you options uh, it ensures that there will be a market for both so that um, 
one doesn't run out before the other is available. So I'm really excited. It looks really cool. Like I said, it's huge. The controller looks really cool, I think. And overall, I'm excited for it. Still no announcement on price, but a lot of speculation is that it's going to be in the uh, five to six hundred range, which I pretty much expected. A lot of people were saying that it was going to be around the same price as the PS3, which I think to date has been the most expensive when it comes to consoles uh, for PlayStation anyway. So I'm looking forward to it, especially because of all the games that have been announced for it. And I got to talk about it. Spider-Man Miles Morales was revealed during State of Play. It looks gorgeous. It looks gorgeous. I'm really excited about this. Um, basically, the vibes that I'm getting is that it's kind of like Spider-Man PS4 1.5. So it's not a direct sequel, but more of like... It's it's basically what Arkham Origins is in the Arkhamverse. It's like we have your main titles and then you have Arkham Origins. Um, and I'm totally cool with that because we get to play as Miles taking place after the events of the first game. I don't know what is going gonna, is gonna, to bring him completely into the fold. The suit looks gorgeous. New York looks gorgeous. Those PS5 graphics look amazing. And I'm really, really excited to get my hands on this game. The thing that blew my mind was that it is going to be a launch title. It's coming in 2020. Holiday 2020, around the same time that PlayStation 5 is coming out. Um, it's going to be there. I was so shocked. I jumped out of my chair. I didn't think we were going to get something this soon from them. But I'm really looking forward to this. And I can't wait to pick this up. We also got... Not technically a PlayStation 5 reveal, but another Kingdom Hearts game is already on the way. Kingdom Hearts already back on its bullshit with the uh, side games. Uh, Kingdom Hearts Melody of Memory was revealed uh, this past week, and it is a musical game. Uh, Tetsuya Nomura has been trying to make a musical game for a very long time, and it looks like he finally got the, his wish with Kingdom Hearts Melody of Memory. Um, this looks like your standard kind of like uh, Guitar Hero slash Dance Dance Revolution uh, rhythm style game, utilizing some of the stuff from Birth by Sleep, like the rhythm... Uh, the ice cream mini games, stuff like that, where you're basically like pressing buttons with certain prompts to attack enemies. And what I thought was really interesting is that they're actually, because it's Tetsuya Nomura, because it's Square Enix, they're packing actual story <laughs> into this game. There is a, this isn't just your side game, because no Kingdom Hearts game is, where you can just toss it aside because it's not canon. This is going to have genuine uh, story ramifications dealing with, um, Kyrie's year of sleep where they are going to try and figure out where Sora went after he revived her using the power of waking um, lots of stuff lots of stuff is going to be uh, coming out of this game and I am so frustrated and yet not surprised at all because again this is Kingdom Hearts. This is what it is now. So um, this is kind of like the first game for our phase two of Kingdom Hearts. We also got um, some info for Dark Road, which is technically um, still, I guess, part of phase one because it's a Xehanort prequel game. But that's on the Union Cross thing, and I'm not excited about looking through that. I'm basically just going to wait until the whole game comes out and then watch YouTube clips recapping the story. I know I'm terrible, but I just, that game is so frustrating. We did an entire episode on it. You can go back and check that out. Um, but 
overall melody of memory i of course i'm gonna pick it up because i can't help myself and i am a slave to the kingdom hearts algorithm um it's gonna be coming out on uh xbox one playstation 4 and um nintendo switch so that's really exciting uh and it's gonna be coming out this year so in the next six months or so we didn't get a definite date but it's definitely gonna come out before the end of the year uh, we also got a reveal trailer for Star Wars Squadron, which looks gorgeous. I mean, the graphics look great, but I have been playing Battlefront 2 uh, for the past week or so because it's the free uh, game for PlayStation Plus members. If you are a PlayStation 4 owner and you did not realize that Battlefront 2, Star Wars Battlefront 2, is the free game for this month, go grab it. Um, but my least favorite part has been the vehicle stuff and it looks like this is going to be all that so i'm probably going to skip this but it looks great and i'm excited for fans who are excited for this aspect of the game uh then we also got a big reveal for resident evil 8 also known as village resident evil um anyone who's a huge fan of resident evil is gotta be just over the moon about this chris redfield is back in what might be his final story and it's appropriately awful looking people are going to die there's going to be gore and all of your favorite resident evil uh trappings are going to be there so really excited about that um overall playstation came out swinging uh xbox a lot of people were talking about how frustrating it was for their event um i think it was last month and they are going to have to pull some strings to top what PlayStation did this week. So I'm really excited about that. And our final piece of miscellaneous news is that at last, The Last of Us Part 2 drops this Friday, as of this recording, of course. And um, the world is going crazy. A lot of people, basically all of the reviews are 9.5 out of 10, 10 out of 10, a masterpiece, you know, one of the best games of all time. So I'm really excited to pick this up. I'm really excited to play this. And that is going to bring us right into the main course, the entree, if you will, of this episode, which asks the question, do you like The Last of Us? Do you want to play some games that are like The Last of Us? Well, have I got a top five list for you. You probably know that The Last of Us Part 2 is coming out this week. Um, it has been a long time coming. Uh, I think the first announcement trailer was back in 2017. I might be wrong on my year, but it's been a while. People have been hailing The Last of Us Part 1 as one of, if not the best video games of all time. And... Waiting for The Last of Us Part 2 has been a struggle for a lot of people. I have had the immense uh, luck to not have to wait that long because I played and beat 
The Last of Us for the very first time this past April. It was incredible. It was a game that I just... It blew me away. It blew me away. I was incredibly shocked at how good this game was and kicking myself for not playing it earlier but at the same time I didn't have to wait that long to complete the story so I'm really excited about it but for a lot of people they have been waiting for this for a long time and try to fill that void to try and play a game that would give them the same kind of feeling that the last of us does and while the last of us provides a pretty unique experience there are five games that i think do just as great a job of bringing you into their world and giving you a story and characters and a world that you can get lost in so this week we're going to be talking about the top five games to play if you love the Last of Us. Uh, these are ranked in order because it's me. It's just how I am. Um, and these are five games that I think are absolutely worth your time. I love each and every one of them in their own way. And I'm going to talk about them here. So let's go ahead and just dive into it. At number five, we have Uncharted 4, A Thief's End. Uh, this game, if you want, if you haven't played any of the Uncharted games, go back and play all of them. But this one specifically uh, is on this list because this is uh, by the same studio. Uh, it's by Naughty Dog, who have just been knocking home run after home run out of the park. Uh, for as long as I can remember. The Uncharted series was kind of their bread and butter for a very long time, and so when The Last of Us was first announced, first came out, everyone was kind of coming into it with the um, idea of Uncharted behind it. And when The Last of Us came out, people were blown away, because this was not Uncharted. Um, they took a lot of the same cues from uncharted making it a linear a semi-linear um narrative driven game that just packs in the care the great character moments and fantastic visuals and so after the last of us came out people wanted to hold naughty dog to a higher standard they're like if your game isn't as good as this get it the hell out of here and this is the first game of the Uncharted series that came out after The Last of Us. And you can tell, because this game provides the uh, closing chapter for Nathan Drake, the hero of Uncharted, um, and pretty much Nathan Fillion if he was a video game character. And this game is so great at giving you exactly what you want from The Last of Us in a completely different world. If you want somebody who is like Joel, kind of past his prime, but still trying to make something of his life, you have Nathan Drake. By the way, also, you have a great companion in Nathan Drake's brother, Sam, who is also voiced by Troy Baker, who voices Joel in The Last of Us. And overall, this game, which I also coincidentally played for the first time in the last year or so, um, is a great send-off for that character and for this world in the way that I'm sure The Last of Us Part 2 will be as well. I don't know if there's a Last of Us Part 3 that's going to come out. Uh, we didn't even know if there was going to be a Last of Us Part 2 with how the ending for the first game was so beautiful and tragic and perfect. But this game 
takes everything that Naughty Dog learned from The Last of Us and puts it into a game that a lot of people kind of wrote off as like male Tomb Raider. And this game elevated everything that you love about those games, told a story that was personal, that was bombastic, and that really ended up being a fantastic final chapter for Nathan Drake's story. I personally haven't played Lost Legacy in the way that it seems like it's more of a spinoff, um, but I might play that as well because Naughty Dog is excellent at creating games and creating worlds and creating characters that you will care about long after you finished playing them. And so this is a game that I think is one of the one of the best in the series to be sure, but also a shining example of putting your faith in a studio to deliver exactly what you need, regardless of whether you know you need it or not. So that is why it's at my number five. But maybe you want a game that gives you the same kind of humanity versus zombies kind of feeling. Well, Look no further than number four, which is Telltale's The Walking Dead Season 1. Now, this game also surprised a ton of people. At this point, Telltale was a relatively unknown uh, video game publisher at the time. They weren't really known for um, extending big IPs like The Walking Dead, which when this came out, was on top of the world. It's kind of shifted and changed over time. Um, the Walking Dead is nowhere near as hot as it was at one point. And uh, this game came out right at that peak and delivered a story within that world that was completely disconnected, and I think that's for the better. This game puts you in the shoes of Lee Everett, a survivor who is just trying to get by as he meets a young girl named Clementine and learns to care for her in the middle of this huge zombie apocalypse. Does that sound familiar to you? Yeah, it should. It should. It's basically Joel and Ellie. Um, but the two of them, their story going through the entire first season is just beautifully tragic in the same way that... Um, Joel and Ellie's story is beautifully tragic. Lee has to make hard decisions, which in Telltale games, at least at this point, mattered. If you made a decision to save one person over another, it mattered. It would change the outcome of your game, and Clementine would remember that. I remember there were so many times playing this game where I would kick myself every time I would see the prompt, Clementine will remember that. And it completely changed the way that I played games like this. This was the game that got me into Telltale as a whole. You can hear our neighbor's dog is also a huge fan of Telltale games. Um, but this really was the game that got me hooked, not just on uh, point-and-click games, but on Telltale as a whole. This paved the way, at least for me as a gamer, to jump into their Batman series, which is one of my favorite interpretations of the Batman mythos of all time. You can check out our episode on that back in the archives. Um, but this game, in its way that you are crafting the story for these two, uh, trying to make their way through this zombie apocalypse really gives you all of the same kind of vibes that The uh, Last of Us does, but with more freedom. Because with The Last of Us, you know, you are following through a story. Of course, there's ways to improvise, there's ways to try and um, make your own kind of play style, but 
generally everyone will experience the story the same way. With The Walking Dead Season 1, there were multiple times where I would have conversations with the friends who were playing the same exact game, but having a completely different experience based on their choices. And so this is a game that I think you should absolutely check out. The following seasons are good. Uh, Clementine steps more into the lead character role. But for me, the peak of that, just like the peak of Walking Dead the show, was really that earlier story with those characters that I came to know and love. And the story of season one ends with a heartbreaking gut punch. There won't be any spoilers. I'm going to try my best to stay away from spoilers in this uh, in this episode of the podcast. But um, I was just completely blindsided by the ending of this season because I didn't expect it. I had to make a very difficult choice, and it shook me for a good long while, just like The Last of Us did at the end of that game. So that is why it is at my number four spot. But there are games that are outside of the large IPs, the AAA studios, that don't often get the same kind of attention that those larger games would. And that kind of leaves, you know, some games that slip through the cracks for a lot of gamers, like myself. Uh, I wasn't someone who would jump into, you know, smaller indie games because I was too busy trying to catch up on all these big AAA games by studios that, you know, showcase themselves on IGN and over at Comic-Cons and stuff like that. But I was pleasantly surprised when I was recommended our number three game, which is A Plague Tale Innocence. This game is so freaking good. And if someone hadn't recommended it to me, it would have completely slipped by me. This game came out last year, and it is just incredible. If you are someone who likes The Last of Us for its narrative, for its characters, for the world that it builds, you need, you owe itself, you owe your... You owe it to yourself to play A Plague Tale Innocence. This game um, basically is in um, an older world France during this huge plague. Um, it's at the very onset of the Hundred Years' War, and you take control of a young girl and her little brother who are trying to escape the Inquisition. Yeah! And while this is all going on, you are not only trying to escape the wrath of the Inquisition, you're also trying to survive the horrible living conditions that were um, prevalent in France during this plague. Your main, I don't even know if I should call them enemies or not, um, are the rats that are both infected by and spreading this plague that are hungry as hell, and will eat you given the chance and the lack of light. Um, this game genuinely made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up at times. The score is incredible. If you're looking for a game that is 
survival horror at its finest, look no further than A Plague Tale Innocence. Um, it is a game that, just like The Last of Us, um, it shares a lot of similarities with their gameplay in that the stealth is very basic. Um, stealth is a huge part of this game, but the mechanics aren't so um, complicated that you need to spend a lot of time learning them. You will get the hang of it over time, and the big, I guess the big, um, I would say, aspect of the game, aside from stealth, is puzzles. You have to figure out how to traverse certain areas in this game while avoiding these rats that will eat you down to your bones if you do not have a source of light directly with you. So being able to learn how to strategically move through areas, avoiding the human enemies, as well as trying to survive with these rats that work just like the clickers and other infected in The Last of Us is thrilling and nerve-wracking. And I was so stressed during most of this game. But it is a beautiful story. The voice acting, I would say, varies. Um, that is something that is a deep contrast between uh, this game and The Last of Us. However, the voice cast is notable for just doing real good with um, both respect to their time period. All of them have French accents, which is so... You just, you don't see it in big AAA games anymore. That kind of attention to detail. They'll set something, you know, they'll set their game in like... Um, feudal japan and they'll all have british accents and it's like what are you doing here but like this game really is dedicated to giving you that immersion and engrossing you in that world while also providing you with ways to enhance your experience and make it your own um there were upgrades there's a loose crafting system it's Again, just like The Last of Us, very basic. If you know your basic crafting system, you will get the hang of this. Um, you have a sidekick character, just like in The Last of Us, though um, the little brother character is not quite as useful as Ellie is by a long shot. Um, however, the game is such a thrill to play. The ways that you will find yourself trying to problem solve across this game uh, will give you the same kind of problem solving vibes that at least I had while playing The Last of Us. Trying to traverse an area that had, you know, like four clickers and you know, having to get through that with one arrow and no firearms will give you the same kind of vibes that you get from playing a Plague Tale Innocence, trying to get through an area with three Inquisition members, rats everywhere, and just your little rinky-dink slingshot. So it is just a wonderful game that doesn't get enough credit. Um, if you are listening to this, um, on Wednesday, when we are going to be dropping this episode, you have less than 24 hours to pick the game up at an insane discount. It's at, I believe it's like $17. Um, it's just, it is absolutely worth your time. It's a wonderful game that doesn't get talked about enough. Um, if you are a fan of games like Hellblade, uh, Sign of a Sacrifice, this is going to be right up your alley. If you're a fan of survival horror games, this is going to be right up your alley. And if you are a fan of The Last of Us, this is going to be right up your alley. 
So that is why it is at number three. But maybe you're looking for something a little bit closer to the narrative of The Last of Us, where, you know, you have your stoic character, played by Troy Baker, who has to traverse this unknown land with a mostly unwilling uh, partner that becomes more important and more... Um, um, endearing as time goes by who also ends up being incredibly helpful on your journey if you aren't grasping what game this is it's bioshock infinite uh, bioshock infinite is just it's one of my it's probably one of my favorite games of all time and it has one of the best pairings in all of video games that being booker dewitt and elizabeth uh this game is so freaking good um if you've never played if you've never played any of the Bioshock games. First of all, how dare you? Uh, <laughs> second of all, play Bioshock, just in general. But this game specifically, I'm going to spotlight because Bioshock Infinite is an incredible game. Basic premises the game is set in 1912. You are Booker DeWitt, a private investigator who is sent to the floating island of Columbia to retrieve. Elizabeth. You don't know it's Elizabeth at the time, but when you go to this place, this is a steampunk style uh, game, which of course is another reason why I love it. Um, you basically have to fight your way through the entire city to both find her and then get out of the city. And the twists and turns that happen, there's a revolution going on. Um, there's, because it's Bioshock, um, there's twists and turns, there's all kinds of... Um, just larger religious themes at play. Uh, there's a moment that harkens back to the very first Bioshock game, which I also love, which is another kind of survival horror style game. And this is just the game to play if you are a fan of these kinds of stories. Booker DeWitt is a fantastic character. Elizabeth is one of my favorite video game characters of all time. Um, I can't sing the praises of this game enough. And one of the big reasons is that it takes that classic survival horror um, aspect and kind of flips it on his head by not just giving you this bright and shining world, this playground to play in with Columbia, but it takes that classic um, first-person uh, survival-style game and gives you powers. Um, just like the very first Bioshock, you get all kinds of, um, in the first game, they're called plasmids. This one, they're tonics that basically give you different abilities. You can use telekinesis. You can send, um, crows at your enemies. You can set bombs. You can throw people, throw fireballs. It's just a fantastic game that absolutely is worth your time. And it's one of my favorite games of all time. Uh, this is a game that, you will be playing over and over and over again, especially with the DLC that's involved, um, the themes of loss and family and religion and self, uh, self-discovery. It's a game that I hold near and dear to my heart, and that is why it is at the number two spot. But um, there's one game that kind of brings together all of the things that I love about these previous games. It features an attention to detail from its studio, not unlike what Naughty Dog would give to its games. It features enemies that, in certain areas, 
work just like zombies. Hordes of enemies that you have to fight your way through so that you can accomplish your goal. It has gameplay that is engrossing, that makes you want to come back for more just for the battle systems that are involved. It has a narrative that just brings tears to your eyes, leaves you with your jaw on the floor, and really touches at the heart of all the things that we love when it comes to video games and stories about two people coming together because of an unfortunate event. And it's a game that I just love so much, and it is, of course, God of War. Um, technically, it's God of War dad of war uh god of boy whatever you want to call it whatever meme name you want to give it god of war is the number one pick on this list um and it's one of my favorite games of all time it's probably a top 10 if not a top 5 game for me um it's got everything it has this um it has a semi-open world that you can traverse it has an engrossing story that is just one of the best and works not just on its own but also as part of this ongoing saga of kratos um, it has a world that's engrossing it has characters that you fall in love with uh, the gameplay is so fun and frenetic and just makes you want to come back just to play uh, even outside of the narrative and it has a feeling that it gives you and it immerses you in the story it immerses you in the world and it makes you want to replay it the second that the credits roll um god of war which i'm just gonna call it god of war i don't want to keep calling it god of war 4 or whatever um so i'm just gonna call it god of god i was gonna say it again um god of war is a game that takes place after the original trilogy that dealt with Kratos, basically Kratos versus the Greek gods. Kratos finding out he is the son of Zeus, spoilers, um, and basically ending the world. This takes place years and years and years later. We don't know how many years, but we know that it's, it's been a very long time. Kratos has moved to Midgard, the Norse world where everything is good question mark um where he's basically set up a life for himself uh he had a wife who sadly passed away before the events of this game and he has a son named atreus and the game basically is about the two of them this father and son who are disconnected who never really um had a great relationship coming together to bring uh, Atreus's mother's ashes to the highest mountain in all of the realms and what follows is this story is this very personal yet um, world traveling story about a father and a son learning what it means to truly devote yourself learning what it means to show compassion learning what it means to be part of a family kratos in the original trilogy was known for being this angry guy who you know slaughtered everything that was in front of him and that's why we loved him he was a character who um didn't have a whole lot of depth to him besides being um bloodthirsty and in certain sections of the game super horny um which i guess if you look at actual greek mythology all of them are that way but 
he didn't have a lot of depth to him. And what we get in this game is a Kratos that has pathos. He has uh, depth. He has a character arc. He is somebody who has seen the worst that humanity and the gods have to offer. And he is trying to make sense of where he fits in it and how he can prepare his young son to not just you know, enter into that world, but to thrive in it. Atreus is a character who I don't think um, a lot of people are going to fall in love with initially, but when you finish this game, Atreus is a character that everyone will look at, and the game wouldn't be the same without him. Um, Atreus is this kind of meek, shy, um, uh, He's basically the exact opposite of Kratos. He's a character who is unsure of himself. He doesn't have a great relationship with Kratos. Um, they've never really been close ever. Kratos kind of put his uh, relationship with his wife over the relationship with his son. And that has affected their relationship now that she's gone and she's not in the picture. So the two of them don't really have a relationship. And so at the beginning of the game, they're very cold towards each other. Atreus doesn't really know how to react to having his father around. And Kratos doesn't really know how to raise a son because he doesn't really... You know, that wasn't what he was about in his younger days, and he was able to give his wife, Faye, uh, kind of that task of being the, um, the mother to their child. And so what follows is this journey that the two of them go on that has twists and turns, just like The Last of Us does. Um, the two of them uh, learn to trust each other. The two of them learn to believe in each other. The two of them learn not just about each other, but also about themselves. Kratos makes uh, some very pivotal self-discoveries during the course of the story that completely not just change his character in this game, but also retroactively change the character uh, in the previous games, now that we know that this arc that he's gone on. Um, it also gave him a sick beard that I just can't picture Kratos without anymore. Um, the gameplay is stunning. Uh, you really genuinely feel the weight of Kratos while you're playing. His axe, which I love above almost any other video game weapon I've ever seen, um, is just... An incredible weapon that if you are a fan of the Marvel Universe, if you like Thor, you will want to play this game because you can throw Kratos' axe and it will come back to you. I love that. It feels so satisfying every time. And Atreus, just like Ellie, is a character who, while not being um, your main controllable character, contributes just as much as Kratos does. He is always, you know, I can count... I, you know, there are too many times during the course of playing the game where Atreus saved my ass in the middle of a boss fight, and it's not something that I ordered him to do, it's something that he did. And it gives you this connection to the character, just like you get that connection to Ellie across the course of The Last of Us, where um, there is a section where, it, just like in The Last of Us, you won't have Atreus with you, and you feel that difference. Um, this is a story about a man who is coming to grips with how his past has caught up with him, how his past changes the way that he not just interacts with the world, but interacts with the person who should be the most important to him. Um, the relationship between 
Kratos and Atreus is just as good as the relationship between Joel and Ellie. Um, the two of them, just like Joel and Ellie, start off very standoffish, but over the course of the story, you get to see that relationship grow and blossom and become incredibly complicated because any relationship that is worth its salt is complicated in some form or fashion. Um, my experience with this game was something that I will never forget because there were different moments where I really... Um, I really connected with Atreus. There are moments that you really connect with Kratos. And it's one of my favorite stories of all time. I rank it up there with the best game stories that I've ever experienced. And though some of you might rank that as a low bar because I love the Kingdom Hearts games, um, the praise for God of War has been pretty universal, just like with The Last of Us. Um, this is a game that you will get lost in. This is a game that you will um, fall in love with, and it's a game that won't let you go even after after the credits roll. Um, I love this game. I love all these games. And honestly, if you are a fan of The Last of Us, if you haven't played these games, do yourself a favor. Play these games. Um, honestly, the entire Uncharted series is a fantastic uh, on-rails uh, third-person puzzle shooter game that you will fall in love with the characters and you will want to follow Nathan Drake into the depths of hell because of just how charismatic he is. Uh, the Walking Dead. The tel Telltale, you know, sadly having, you know, met its end, though I guess there are rumors now that it might come back, um, really knew what they were doing by crafting a story that put you in the driver's seat in the same way that the encounters in The Last of Us put you in the driver's seat against these hordes of creatures who aren't easily killed. Um, a Plague Tale, Innocence, is a game that just like uh, The Last of Us surprised the hell out of me. It's a game that will make you feel uneasy and very um, cautious when you're playing it at night with the lights off. Um, but it's also a story about trying to escape the life you're in in the hopes that there is a better life beyond the troubles that you're dealing with. Uh, Bioshock Infinite is a game that takes you for a ride and examines and explores the concept of morality, how many shades of gray there really are, what is good, what is evil, in the same way that The Last of Us gives you some complicated choices and some complicated story beats where um, sometimes Joel is the good guy and sometimes Joel is a bloodthirsty psychopath. Um, and then God of War is a game that I would be remiss if I didn't say that it is one of the best games objectively of all time, not just as a PlayStation exclusive. And the best part about all of these games is you can play all of them on PlayStation 4 just like The Last of Us. All of these games you can find, whether it's at GameStop, whether it's at Amazon, whether it's in the PlayStation Store, do yourself a favor, play these games, because I think if you love The Last of Us... You will love these just as much.
it is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And right now we are in the final stretch of Harley Quinn season two. And we're reviewing specifically episode number 11 titled A Fight Worth Fighting For. I just, some of these titles for these episodes are just the most ridiculous thing. Not unlike this show. Uh, the show starts off um, kind of in the same way that the um, that the Batman episode or the Batgirl episode. Which one was it? Um, the episode that showed like the Snyder Cut bros. Um, this episode, and I love this so much, uh, starts off with Frank and his stoner friend or whatever, uh, Frank the Plant, uh, basically giving a recap on everything that's happened, everything that's been going on the whole time, and then we jump straight into the uh, payoff for the cliffhanger from uh, last week's episode with the return of the Joker. Uh, Harley Quinn pushed him into the vat of chemicals to bring him back so that they could find out where the book of fairy tales is and i was very unsure about bringing the joker back at the end of last week's episode i liked that they changed him i knew they were going to bring him back at some point but i felt like this was a little too soon um but i ended up really liking him in this episode uh we get this like look into uh what his life was during those six months where he was just a normal guy i don't think we ever got a name for him so i'm just gonna call him jack um but we get this like snapshot of him you know getting rescued out of the rubble of the joker tower uh meeting and falling in love with bethany his nurse meeting her kids setting up this nice life this nice suburban life and um that gives him some conflicts in this episode we also get to meet his his girlfriend bethany who is just a just an amazing amazing character she's fantastic i hope we get to see more of her um as this just overworked nurse living in the suburban home um she reminded me a lot of my mom um because she took no shit and was immediately just like family above all else i love that um really really enjoyed this episode it was really really good uh but the main i guess underlying uh, plot thread throughout this episode was that Gotham is currently under siege still because Dr. Psycho along with the Riddler are controlling all of the parademons that are left within Gotham and the two of them are just raining down fire and blood upon the city they are killing people they are indiscriminately just ripping the city apart uh, which flies in the face that uh, it's it's a pun um it flies in the face of the wedding of kite man and ivy uh they're getting ready for their wedding ivy is definitely shaken up you know at least emotionally by the events of the previous episode and eventually when their uh, wedding planner gets taken by some parademons she goes off because she wants to kill dr psycho um, so she goes after him. Meanwhile, uh, Harley is trying to find the fairy tale book so that she can free the Justice League because she believes that they will be able to solve this problem. So her and the Joker basically go on this trip trying to find this book. Uh, meanwhile, Batman is also back on the case. He is finally healed up and he is 
kind of forced to team up with Harley and Joker to get the book to bring back the Justice League, which eventually, of course, they do. Um, and then we get a hell of a cliffhanger at the end of the episode where we find out that Ivy, uh, in her, I guess, encounter with Dr. Psycho, was brainwashed and is now being controlled by Dr. Psycho, and so she shows up to kill Harley Quinn. So overall, I really like this. It pushed the story forward. We've only got two episodes left, and I I just, I've been really liking it. It's been really good. Um, I still, at this point in time, I still think that I, th- I liked the first season a little bit better, uh, just because the scale was so focused, and this one has gone all over the map. Um, which I guess, you know, makes sense for escalation purposes. But overall, I've really enjoyed this season. I like the cliffhanger of Harley and Ivy, you know, kind of having to face their feelings. Um, and now we are going to get a hell of a fight scene, especially now that the uh, Justice League is back on the case and they're going to be, um, I guess, in the background, finding the Parademon threat. So really looking forward to next week's episode. We are nearing the end of Harley Quinn, which means we will have to start looking for uh, the next focus of the weekly review. I've got a pretty good idea on what I want that to be, but I would love to hear from you if you would like to uh, let me know what you would like me to review for the next fo- for the next. Uh, I guess, volume of the weekly review. Uh, we've reviewed a lot of stuff in the past, and after, you know, basically jumping into July, we're going to be kicking off a whole new uh, weekly review after the close of uh, this season of Harley Quinn. So feel free to let me know on Twitter, on Instagram, at Pod or through email to gmail.com. I love talking to you guys. been having some great conversations all over the map, uh, getting feedback, talking about future ideas for episodes and all that stuff. So Really looking forward to next week's episode, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what's going to happen when Harley Quinn faces down with Poison Ivy. But for now, let's roll on into this week's Comics Callback. Welcome back to this week's Comics Callback. This is the segment of our show where I talk about five comics that I think you should go back and read. Whether it's on Comixology, the DC Universe app, or whether you just go back to your shelf and dust off your old copy of the book. Last week, we talked about five comics involving fighting for social justice. This week, category is Denny O'Neill. As we talked about uh, at the jump from this week's podcast, um, we lost a comics great this past week with the passing of Denny O'Neill. O'Neill was one of the, probably one of the godfathers of comics, especially in the realm of Batman. He oversaw so many great Batman stories, whether he was writing them, whether he was editing them, and he is somebody who has made his mark on comics forever, across the board, whether it's at DC, whether it's at Marvel, whatever. So these are five comics that I really want to spotlight and give you um, as a recommendation to honor the life and times of Denny O'Neill. A quick, um, 
I guess, an honorable mention uh, from last week talking about the uh, hard-traveling heroes, Green Arrow and Green Lantern. It's not going to be on this week's list because I don't really like repeating stuff, especially back to, in back-to-back weeks. But it's definitely something you should check out. It's probably one of, if not his most iconic stories, and it not just uh, shows off some of the best brave and the bold pairings of all time, but it also talks about some of the issues that were facing uh, fans and geeks of all races, both back then and today. It's a great, great run from one of the greatest of all time. So let's jump into this week's list. First off, we have The Question, Volume 1, Zen and Violence. This is written by Denny O'Neill with art by Dennis Cohen. Cowan? Cohen? I probably mispronounced your name, and I apologize. But this was the book that revitalized this character. Um, The Question, which was uh, originally created by Steve Ditko and was part of the um, Charlton group of characters that inspired The Watchmen, Uh, was basically one of the characters bought out by DC and brought in, and DC didn't really know what to do with them. Um, Ellen Moore wanted to bring them in and use them as the characters for Watchmen, but DC was like, ah, we don't want to do that. We don't really know what we want to do with these characters, but we don't want to do that. So they gave these characters to writers and creative teams that they trusted and that they knew would give them fresh takes so we got this denny o'neill and dennis cohen cowan damn it um provided one of the best runs on this character so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here Created by comics legend Steve Ditko, the faceless Avenger known as The Question is one of comics' most mysterious and fascinating heroes. In the corrupt, crime-ridden Hub City, investigative reporter Vic Sage strives to tell his viewers the truth, and philosophical, trench-coated hero The Question, whose face is a featureless blank, uncovers what Sage cannot. But with deadly martial artist assassins and political intrigue to contend with, will one man, even a master of unarmed combat, be able to make a difference? So this um, obviously came out in the 80s, but this is, honestly, it's probably my favorite run on the character. Um, the recent uh, recent book for the question, The Deaths of Vic, Vic Sage, has been very good, and it's been giving me a lot of vibes of this original run of, uh, of the character. And I think that this is if not one of the best, if not the best, one of the best runs that the characters ever had. So that is why it's on the list. Next up, we have Iron Man, The Enemy Within. This is written by Denny O'Neill with art by Luke McDonnell. Um, This is pretty interesting. Jumping over to Marvel, um, Denny O'Neill was somebody who influenced a lot of change when it came to uh, Marvel Comics. Whether he was writing, whether he was editing, he was someone who put his stamp on every character that he came into contact with, and Iron Man is no exception. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis, and we'll talk about the book. Things are looking grim for Tony Stark. 
A string of battles with Diablo, the Serpent Squad, and AIM have worn him out. And when rival industrialist Obadiah Stane targets Stark International for a very hostile takeover, the urge to crawl back into the bottle becomes overwhelming. With Tony in no condition to defend his company, his most loyal friend must step up to bat. That's right, Jim Rhodes takes over as Iron Man. But Rhodey had better figure out how to use Tony's armor fast, because Stain, Magma, Thunderball, Firebrand, and more aren't going to give him time to learn the ropes. So, this was the run where James Rhodes became Iron Man. Before he was War Machine. Before he was Don Cheadle. Uh, <laughs> Jim Rhodes was basically uh, Tony Stark's best friend and sometimes the person who would back him up when it came to military disputes. But with this story, James Rhodes stepped front and center as the one and only Iron Man. Uh, this was at a time where Iron Man's identity wasn't real, really publicly known. So no one, even the other... Um, uh, Avengers, other superheroes knew that James Rhodes was under the mask. He didn't really talk about it. He didn't bring any kind of um, uh, attention to it. He just did the job. It's a fantastic story about friendship, stepping up for someone who you care about in their time of need. And this also kicked off the stint where uh, Rhodey became one of the premier heroes in all of Marvel Comics. This led into his involvement in uh, Secret Wars, uh, basically kickstarting him on the road to becoming War Machine. It's also just a fantastic story because it introduces Obadiah Stane. Um, this is a character who has one of, if not... Um, the biggest uh, spots in Iron Man's rogues gallery. And this also was during the run. It's not in this specific story arc, but this was also the run Denny O'Neill's was where they introduced my favorite Iron Man armor, the Silver Centurion. I love this run on Iron Man. It's one of my favorites of all time. And it is just a great example of how Denny O'Neill would put his stamp on every character that he came across. Next up, we have Shazam! The World's Mightiest Mortal, Volume 1. This is written by Denny O'Neill, once again with art by C.C. Beck. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. The triumphant return of humankind's undefeatable champion. Pretty simple. Um, this was super cool. Uh, Denny O'Neill was kind of given free reign when it came to Captain Marvel, uh, who had just been acquired by DC Comics. Uh, Captain Marvel pretty much at this point was known as the Superman clone from Fawcett Comics that outsold Superman. And so when he was purchased by DC, they wanted to come out swinging with this character, uh, rebooting him, revitalizing him, preparing him for a new audience in the 70s. Uh, Denny O'Neill was the man up for the job, and he knocked it out of the park. This is some of the best uh, Captain Marvel slash Shazam stories that you can find. They brought back the original artist, C.C. Beck, for this, which was a very classy move on DC's part. Uh, but this is where you get a lot of the modern-day um, 
modern day uh, perspectives when it comes to how people look at Shazam. The Big Red Cheese, his ridiculous rogues gallery, the Marvel family, uh, Savannah, all of these characters that we know and love today were really given life over the course of this run. It's, as a Shazam fan, one of the essential reads because Denny O'Neill took a character that DC didn't know what to do with and once again gave him not just direction but gave him a spotlight to become one of DC's premier heroes. Jumping back over to Marvel, this is going to be the one and only, uh, I guess, place on this list where Denny O'Neill was not uh, writing because this is Daredevil by Frank Miller and Klaus Janssen. Um, This was... I know it wasn't Denny O'Neill writing. However, Denny O'Neill was the editor during this time. He was the man who was responsible for making sure that Frank Miller and Klaus Janssen's vision for the character matched up with the direction that Marvel wanted to take him. And during this time, a complete revitalization of Daredevil took place. Uh, The amount of freedom that Frank Miller was given under the watchful eye of Denny O'Neill was the catalyst to making Daredevil who he is today. Uh, Denny O'Neill was the person who convinced Frank Miller to come onto the project, gave Frank Miller the room to play with the character as he saw fit uh, under his watchful eye. You know, Frank Miller started to make uh, Daredevil more of a uh, martial arts focused character. He brought in characters like Elektra, like Stick, gave him some of the most iconic Daredevil stories of all time, including uh, the battle, the tragic battle between Elektra and Bullseye and ended up completely revitalizing the character at a time where he needed it the most. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. This is the dawn of one of Daredevil's greatest eras, but will the Kingpin and Bullseye's efforts rob the man of fear of everything he holds dear? Featuring the first appearances of Elektra, Stick, and The Hand, the daring discovery that drew Ben Urich into Daredevil's domain of darkness, and such forgotten yet formidable foes as Deathstalker and the Gladiator. So, again, this is the start of an iconic Daredevil run. When people talk about, you know, writers and creative teams that are intrinsically tied to specific characters, a lot of people will look at Frank Miller and Daredevil being synonymous with each other. And it's because of this run, and it's because Denny O'Neill took a chance on a young writer who had a vision for a character that Marvel could not, at the time, give a care in the world about. But it is not the number one choice. Uh, If you know me, if you know my sensibilities, my favorite characters, this last pick will not be any surprise to you. But of course, this is my final pick, which is Nightwing Volume 1, Bloodhaven. Written by Denny O'Neill, along with Chuck Dixon, with art by Greg Land and Scott McDaniel, this is the moment that Nightwing stepped out onto the world stage. This was when he got his iconic black and blue suit. This was when he moved to Bloodhaven. This is how Nightwing became Nightwing, and it's all thanks to Denny O'Neill. Let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis, and then we'll talk about why I love this book. 
Nightwing flies solo as Dick Grayson uncovers new facts about the murder of his parents, evidence suggesting there was more to their deaths than he ever suspected. But shadowy forces have strong reasons for keeping the truth buried and send assassins to silence him forever. So I love Nightwing. I love Dick Grayson. Um, anyone who knows me will be able to tell you that. And a large reason for my love of Nightwing comes from this book. I was introduced to Nightwing in the Batman the Animated Series. And after finding out about the character, I fell in love with it. I had already loved Dick Grayson as Robin, but when he became Nightwing, he went on to a new level of hero, hero worship for me. And so when I found out that there was a book that starred just him, I gobbled it up. It was one of the very first runs that I ever committed myself to reading. And it is a story of a young man stepping out on his own for the first time and kind of having to make it up as he goes. And I just think if you are a Nightwing fan, if you're a Dick Grayson fan, even if you're just a, you know, basic Batman fan, this is a story that you should not miss. Uh, Dick Grayson and Nightwing have had great runs since this. Uh, some of the ones that come to mind are the Grant Morrison, Batman and Robin run. I was actually a really big fan of his new 52 run. And I even really, really enjoyed Grayson but um this is where it's at this is really the bar for Nightwing runs for Nightwing stories and it's a bar that is very rarely ever met so that is my uh list for this week to recap we have the question volume one zen and violence we have iron man the enemy within we have shazam the world's mightiest mortal volume one we have daredevil by frank miller and klaus jansen and of course nightwing volume one bloodhaven uh denny o'neill needless to say was a just powerhouse when it came to coming up with ideas for characters, revitalizing characters, giving them new stories to play with, and he will be missed. He was someone who brought in hundreds of thousands of readers just from the sheer quality of his writing and brought together creative teams while as an editor that would help to define characters that he wouldn't ever really get credit for. So um, as one humble nerd to someone who changed the face of comics forever this is a salute to denny o'neill rest in peace and you will be missed and that brings us to the wrap-up. That's going to be it for this week's show. Uh, thank you very much for listening all the way through. If this is your first time joining us and you enjoyed what you heard, please feel free to subscribe on whichever podcasting platform you happen to be listening to us on. And feel free to give us a rating and review. It really helps us out, especially if you give us a five-star review and uh, rating on iTunes. Uh, if you do give us a five-star rating and drop us a review on iTunes, I will read them live on this podcast. I have read the one and only review that we have up there. I would love to read more. And honestly, just giving us those reviews, giving us that feedback really helps us out to grow and also gets us into the orbit of listeners just like you. 
Um, I'm really excited about The Last of Us. Really looking forward to this. It's been something that has been hotly anticipated for a very long time and has been a shining light at the end of this week. Um, I went back to work this past week to give you just a little personal update, and it sucks. (laughs) I'm going to be completely honest with you. Um, I work in a restaurant, and it is really tough we are in in la county one of the highest um i guess impact uh zones for COVID 19 and i am worried every single shift that uh something might happen we are taking every single possible precaution that we can to make sure that we are protecting both the guests as well as the employees um, but it's still, it's stressful, it's frustrating, um, I'm having a rough time. So getting to do this podcast and looking forward to playing video games like The Last of Us really is uh, the way I get through it. I'm really um, just, uh, it's tough. But uh, exciting news, if you are a fan of Apple and iOS games, specifically Sneaky Sasquatch, um, I booked a, uh, a voice on its latest commercial. Uh, if you go on YouTube, you look up the latest sneaky Sasquatch uh, game trailer. My voice is the guy in the office that says something, I think, along the lines of, uh, I think Dave in accounting is actually Sasquatch. Um, it was a great experience getting to record for that. I'm really excited. I wanted to share that with you. So um, check that out. Also, the game is super fun. So definitely go check that out on uh, iOS platforms as well. Um, that is going to do it for this week's episode. We are rolling right on through the month of June. I feel like June just like blew by. Like May was like the longest five years of my life. And now we're already heading into July. So... <laughs> Um, we're rapidly approaching the end of this month. Uh, before I forget, I want to give a big Father's Day shout out because Father's Day is this Sunday as of this recording. Uh, so happy Father's Day to my dad, Anjo Azana, as well as all of the wonderful fathers who happen to listen to the Geek Explained podcast. And that is going to wrap it up for this week's episode. Tune in next week for the final episode of June. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time.